Hear now the word of the Lord from Matthew chapter 12, verses 43 through 45. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came, and when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also will it be with this evil generation. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Well, for the last uh, 200 years or so, our Western culture has taken great pride in removing every vestige of our societal consciousness of anything that might be considered uh, superstitious in the least. Now, our ancestors very much believed that there were these unclean spirits. We actually just sang um, the, the, the words of, the, of, of Martin Luther, who lived in the 1400s, and though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, that's genuinely what they believed. They knew that these unclean spirits were everywhere. And so they believed in both the reality and the danger of magic, witchcraft, evil spirits, and the occult. But in our modern Western culture, we often believe that we have moved beyond those things, especially in the ways that we have given ourselves to something that we can actually see and, and seems much more tangible in the physical sciences. As we give ourselves to the sciences, we, we think that we're giving ourselves to something that's real and maybe not made up or, or, or hocus-pocus or superstition. But you know, C.S. Lewis once remarked that the difference between magic and science is perhaps not as great as we might like to think that it is. The impetus, the desire behind magic and still the impetus and desire behind science to this day is all related to the desire to exert control over the world around us. Some people in the past did this by accessing demonic forces to try to accomplish certain goals. And I'm not saying science is demonic today, but the goal is still the same, that we want to we find some kind of control over our world, and science is driven by that. And so we've maybe tried to see, well, so we can do so much through science, so we don't need all of those old beliefs anymore. But, you know, it's interesting a couple of years ago, when our world felt so out of control through all of the rapid changes that were happening, and science couldn't solve all of our problems in the years 2020 and 2021, there was a huge uptick in interest in the occult. Why? Well, one occult leader was interviewed and said, well, we realize that we don't have control through the sciences. And so we need to go back to trying to find control in some other way. And so there was such a surge in interest in the occult that um, in 2021, for the Financial Times reported in an article that there were these TikTok videos that were all tagged with a particular uh, tagging that dealt with something dealing with the occult, dealing with evil uh, uh, forces. I won't name that tag because I, I don't want to mention it in here. Uh, but they said if you look at all of the video views in 2021 for, for those videos tagged with the occult, there were two billion more views, billion with a B, for those views than all of the videos that were tagged Biden. So for the president of the United States, there were more interest in the occult than in the president of the United States during 2021. 
There is a far greater appreciation these days in the cult, in the occult, than in any time in the past for, for hundreds of years. Well, this morning, I'm not trying to say that the occult is made up nonsense. In fact, if you look at the words of Jesus, we see that in fact the occult is very real. Demonic, unclean spirits are very real. Now, some of the claims surrounding occultists are false, but those demonic forces are real. And in Jesus' words here, there are two warnings that we must draw from this passage. First of all, dabbling in the occult to any degree is profoundly dangerous. It will enslave you and it will destroy you. You are not in control if you seek to find control for your life through these forces that Jesus is warning about here. But the second thing, and this is really the focus of what Jesus is saying here, is that trying to remain spiritually neutral is not a safe strategy. You've got to pick a side. There is no way to just sort of be away from all of the spiritual things of this world, and maybe to give yourselves to material things like the sciences, and maybe then I'll be safe from all of those other forces. Jesus is saying here that even that will not work for you. Our big idea this morning as we study this passage is this, that whoever is not with Jesus is against him. Whoever is not with Jesus is against him. And I draw that from Matthew chapter 12, verse 30, just a few verses before this passage. Whoever is not with Jesus is against him. Now, three parts to the sermon this morning, one for each verse. First of all, a weakened enemy, a weakened enemy. Second of all, a worthless neutrality, a worthless neutrality. And then third, a worsened condition, a worsened condition. Well, if we start with this first point, a weakened enemy, Jesus says in verse 43, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person. He's talking how, here about an exorcism of a demon, a casting out of a demon from someone who has been oppressed by that demon. Now, we have to remember the context, because early in this chapter, Jesus has cast out a demon. And in fact, it, it caused a really big problem, because then the Pharisees who watched Jesus cast out this demon started murmuring and grumbling and saying, this man only casts out demons by the power of the prince of demons, by the power of Beelzebul. But in fact, Jesus responded to say that it was not that he was using the power of the prince of demons to cast out demons. Satan doesn't cast out Satan. The house divided against itself cannot stand. Jesus is the one who came to bind the strong man so that he could then liberate souls who had been oppressed and held captive by these demonic spirits. But then, in reaction to Jesus' response, the Pharisees went away and got the scribes, and the scribes came back, and they wanted proof. They asked for a sign to see from Jesus in chapter 12, verse 38. They didn't believe it. They had seen Jesus work this mighty act of salvation and casting out this spirit, and they did not believe it. They wanted to see a sign for him to prove that he was who he said he was, that he was the Christ, the Messiah of God. Well, now in verse 43, Jesus is warning, warning about what can happen from this. Now, when he says, when the unclean spirit has gone out of the person, he's not talking just about the exorcism that he's just performed. This is a generic thing. Whenever the un, an unclean spirit has gone out of a person, he says that spirit passes through waterless places seeking rest, but it finds none. Now, we know that whenever a demon is cast out, it happens by the Spirit of God, the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said that in Matthew 12, verse 28. 
But Jesus is telling us more. He's saying that this demon goes out and has to wander through waterless places. Now, we're not really told anything about this. It's depicted as a desert, a barren wasteland without any water. It's a place of lifelessness, a place where there is no life flourishing. And this demon is wandering about, but even then it cannot find rest. It's looking for rest, but it finds none. Why can't this demon find rest? Well, John Calvin writes this. He says, we have here a description of Satan's nature. He never ceases to do us injury, but is continually busy and moves from one place to another, so that to dwell out of man is to him a wretched banishment and resembles a barren wilderness. What we're supposed to understand is for this demon to be cast out, for this demon not to be tormenting someone, is for him an absolute torment. So this demon cannot find rest until he goes back, as we're going to see, to torment this person even further. Satan's only pleasure comes from tormenting image bearers of God. We must not underestimate his power or his relentless cruelty. Now, when we think about evil, we often think about human evil, and maybe we sort of say that demonic evil is sort of human evil writ large. It's sort of a a bigger, maybe more expansive version of human evil. Understand there is a fundamental difference between human evil and demonic evil, and both of the differences can be traced to the individual respective original sins of both human beings and of demons. When human beings sinned, First of all, they were deceived, and particularly what they were deceived, if you read back in Genesis 6, or or 3, verse 6, is that they were deceived in that they were doing something good. The original sin, we read that the woman saw that the tree was good. She thought that she was going to become like God in knowing good from evil, and then she gave to the fruit to Adam, who was with her, and he had been apparently overhearing the same conversation, and he likewise sinned with her. They thought they were doing something good. Now, they were deceived, and they willfully disobeyed something they knew God had told them not to do, but they thought there was good in what they were doing. All human evil starts with a desire to do something good. Now, understand that doesn't mean that what we do is good. When we think that we are doing good, we can use that to justify all kinds of twisted, evil, demonic kinds of things. Even Hitler believed that he was ushering in something gloriously good in the future he envisioned for Germany. And because he believed he was doing something good, that end that he believed he was pursuing justified the demonic, unspeakable atrocities that he inflicted. When human beings commit evil, we do so believing that we are pursuing some good. For the demons, it's absolutely different. Their original sin was not the same. Their original sin was not being deceived by someone else. Their original sin happened when they were in the presence of Almighty good God. The only true, the only good God. They were in the presence of goodness Himself, They knew exactly who he was, and they rejected and hated him. They wanted to destroy him. Therefore, they're not trying to find some good. They hated good. They hated God. And so to this day, where we do evil trying to do good, demons do evil for the sake of evil. They are endlessly corruptive, and they are endlessly destructive. 
And this is why in 1 Peter 5, verse 8, we read, the Apostle Peter warns us that our enemy, the devil, prowls constantly like a roaring lion seeking someone whom he may devour. The evil of humans, as bad as it is, is not the same thing. The evil of demons is something that we dare not underestimate. Which means, as Jesus is going to tell us, that we are not safe if we are granted temporary relief from demonic oppression. We are not safe if this demon has merely been cast out for a time. That oppression may cease, but if it does so, it is only temporary unless we have a better defense when this demon comes back. We come then to our second point, a worthless neutrality. What Jesus says is if someone simply remains in a neutral state, that neutrality is not good, it is not safe, it is worthless. In verse 44, the demon speaks to itself. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. One commentator notes in verse 44 here that when this demon talks about a human being as my house, that's incredibly imperialistic language. That's language of domination. I own you, this demon is saying. I'm going to go back to my house and live there again. And when this demon comes back, he finds the condition of his house not how he had left it. Demons leave filth. They leave corruption and desecration. Uh, you see, this person, in the meantime, has been busy. Now the house is empty, or literally at leisure. It's at rest. It's not chaotic anymore. It's been swept. It has been put in order. This life has been tidied up in the absence and the relief of this demonic oppression. The idea here, apparently, is this person is seeking to turn over a new leaf, to start a new chapter of their lives, and they're seemingly outwardly making progress in their lives by managing their behavior, maybe by being in a better mood, that sort of a thing. Yet, the problem here is that the presence of the unclean spirit, when that spirit went away, was not replaced by the presence of someone who could guard that house, the presence of the Holy Spirit. What Jesus is warning us is that neutrality is not the goal. Neutrality is not a goal. It is not a sign of strength and improvement that you have gotten rid of all of that superstitious stuff and now you are on your own and safe. That's not safe. As bad as things were, this person has not sought lasting refuge with God and therefore they are vulnerable, very vulnerable, more vulnerable than they realize. Ultimately, there can never be true spiritual neutrality because all of us, one way or another, must be under the dominion of some spiritual force. The question is not whether but which spiritual force we will come under the dominion of. And so any reprieve from demonic oppression that leads to seeking neutrality is dangerous and it can only last for a short amount of time. What Jesus is talking about here is someone who knows there is a threat or should know that there is a threat, there's a high risk, and yet is unprepared. Now, sometimes there's not much of a threat in life, and so maybe you can get away with very small remedies of this. You know, when my brother and I, when we were little kids, we would go and, and have sleepovers at, at, at grandma's house, and we had to stay on the, we, we slept on the, on the fold-out bed from the couch. She called it a Davenport. I don't know if anyone else in, outside of Western Nebraska calls that, but the Davenport, you pulled it out, and you slept on the, on the Davenport, and it was right out in the front room, right by the front door. Now, my, my grandma, worried about that because she was in the back room, she had, a, she had a plan. She had a security system in place. Um, it wasn't anything electronic or anything like that. Um, she used a 
butter knife and wedged it between the door and the doorframe. To this day, I don't know what that was supposed to do. Um, I don't know that that's a great strategy, but I will also tell you that was the 1980s in a town of a thousand people in western Nebraska. The risk was not high that someone was going to come barging through that door that day, so maybe a butter knife remedy would do. This person doesn't even use a butter knife remedy. This person hasn't thought at all about any kind of defensiveness. Can you imagine a bank treating their assets so casually? Can you imagine the military guarding their resources and personnel so casually? This person does nothing to protect themselves, knowing the oppression of the demon. They do nothing to protect themselves in the meantime. And Jesus is leading to where this goes, which is not a good place. Spiritual neutrality is worthless. There can be no real neutrality. Jesus shows the danger of seeking this kind of neutrality. And this leads us to our third point, a worsened condition in verse 45. We read this, Then it, the demon, goes and brings with it seven other spirits, more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first so also will it be with this evil generation. What Jesus is saying is that all this person's efforts to tidy up his or her life are going to be short-lived. The demons do not lose interest in tormenting captives. They're restless until they're at it again. They cannot find rest until they are tormenting someone's soul. If driven away, they will find a way to return if possible. Uh, One commentator points out that even Jesus, after Satan departed from him, had to leave until an opportune time. Satan wasn't done. Satan won another crack at our Lord, but he knew that he was bound for a time. Jesus was going to have free reign to liberate captives. The strong man was bound, and Jesus was going to liberate the captives, and Satan could do nothing about it until the time for Satan to come again would come when Jesus would be attacked by by the devil at the cross. What this passage is teaching is that we must understand that the demons not only attack us viciously and voraciously, but these demons have a plan. They know what they're doing. First of all, they study us thoroughly. They know how to lead us astray. This is all they do because they know it brings sin and misery. And if they need to bring seven other demons or if it's just going to lead to more torment, that's what they are going to do. Now, Jesus is showing this problem, but he doesn't explicitly identify a solution. The problem, however, is very clear. The house was empty. There was nothing guarding the house. It was not filled by someone or something else to protect that house. And then at the very end of this, Jesus makes it absolutely clear what he's saying. So also will it be with this evil generation. He's talking to the scribes and Pharisees who were not interested in repenting after they saw him. By the power of the Holy Spirit, bring the kingdom of God into the world by driving out a demon from someone else. They did not believe in this, and therefore they were not seeking his refuge in their own lives. They are the evil and adulterous generation because the deliverer had come and they did not respond to him by faith. And what Jesus is warning is that what will happen to them if he does not defend them, which they don't want, will be worse than their condition at the first. Uh, My family... And I are, are looking at getting a dog right now. 
Um, one of the reasons that people get a dog is for protection, to be a guard dog. That's not really our um, goal. I suppose it's nice, but not really our goal. It's certainly getting a guard dog was not the reason why my own family growing up had a dog. Um, we had this little dog, and she was small and friendly to everyone. She was the least likely guard dog you could ever imagine in the world of dogs. Uh, but one night in the middle of the night, my sweet little dog barked like she was losing her mind. It was a night my dad was out of town. Um, my mom went down to try to calm and quiet her. My, mo my mom could hardly get this dog calm. Again, not a guard dog, but she was just losing her mind that night. So we wondered what, what had happened. Well, later we found out that that same night, just a couple of houses down from us, there had been another break-in. There had been a break-in to another house. So we don't know, but it seems very likely that my little not-guard dog had acted the part of a guard dog that night in barking away someone who may have first attempted to break into our house. It wasn't our intention, but we were so thankful that my little dog could serve as a guard dog that night. How different is it with Jesus, whose very intention, the whole mission he has was to come into this world to guard us, to defend us, to protect us, to liberate us from this oppression we have, from this world with devils filled that threatens to undo us. This is why Jesus came, to rescue us and protect us. Why then would we not rely upon his protection? Why would we not go to our Redeemer and our Rescuer and lean upon her or lean upon him for protection, just like we had to lean on our dog for protection that night, even when we weren't expecting it? Well, what should we take from this passage when Jesus tells us about the work of spirits in this life? The application is very simple you've got to pick a side. You've got to pick a side. You cannot remain spiritually neutral. You cannot pretend oblivious to the battle that is raging around you, as invisible as it is. You cannot pretend that it is not happening. This is a world with devils filled. And you've got to pick a side. Either you are with Jesus or you are against Jesus. Either you are safe and secure in the protection of Jesus or you are vulnerable to the attacks and oppressions of these unclean spirits that surround us all the time. The first thing I would say then in this is that if you are at all experimenting or dabbling with the occult, let me plead with you. Flee this danger. Please come talk to pastors. This is a thorny problem to get yourself out of. First of all, you are not in control like you think that you are in control. Imagine if you went to Yellowstone Park and you see all these signs that say, don't feed the bears. But you've seen Yogi Bear, you've seen Paddington Bear, you've seen Pooh Bear, and you imagine that you are in control if you go to feed this bear. Maybe you give them your picnic basket. Whatever you do trying to feed this bear, understand you are in front of a power that you cannot imagine and that you cannot defend yourself from. Don't feed the bears. Don't dabble in this. If you need help, if you need help, please come talk to the pastors or elders that we can walk you through this. But even if you're not dabbling in these things, if you're not into witchcraft or tarot cards or crystals or all of these things that are spread out that are offering some kind of power to you to control your surroundings, even if you're not in that huge section in the bookstore that tells you how many books are being sold, even if that's not you, the other warning that we get from this passage is that there's no neutrality. 
You can't just shun the spiritual world. See, we try to remain isolated. We, one of the great sins of our age is a firm faith in our individualism. We believe that the most important thing is to sort of protect ourselves, to sort of be true to ourselves. We are increasingly isolated from one another as we seek to create individual lives. Uh, we believe that the best way to protect ourselves is to isolate ourselves. Maybe if I just stay away from it all, I'll be safe. But Proverbs 18 verse 1 says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. But it's not just from people to be safe. We also sometimes imagine that we can isolate ourselves from the spiritual world. As long as I don't go there, it won't bother me. Maybe you think that you've been liberated from superstitious beliefs about devils and unclean spirits. Maybe you think you can cultivate a happy life where you're just given over to your own worldly material pursuits. Well, in some ways, we're different from Jesus' audience. You see, the ancients, those who lived in Jesus' days, absolutely knew, they believed that this world, they were surrounded by demons and devils and unclean spirits. We don't necessarily believe that as a culture. But in other ways, our culture is exactly the same. We believe that something can make us safe. We believe that something can make us safe, and we think that we'll just be safe and it'll be just fine, but the demons then will be happy to do the same thing then as they will do now. Namely, they're happy to wreak havoc in our lives. And if, and if we're not aware of their presence, that's all to better. They, they can work all kinds of evil and mischief and cruelty in our lives if we're not aware of them. What Jesus is saying is that you cannot craft a spiritually neutral life. There are really only two choices. And again, Jesus in Matthew 12, verse 30 said, Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. It's not a threat. Jesus is giving us a warning. There is no spiritual neutrality. But the gospel is good news. What Jesus comes to provide is good news for people oppressed by unclean spirits. Whether in Christ's uh, whether in this culture of, of spiritual awareness or the culture of spiritual denier, a denial, Jesus is good news for whoever needs him. Because Jesus came to be the liberator of captive souls to give rest to the weary. The first answer is if you are someone who does not know that you are under the dangerous power of the, of the occultic forces of darkness, if you're just dabbling that and think that you're in control, understand the only hope you have is that Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. When Jesus walked this earth, even then the demons could not control him. Even then the demons submitted to his authority. And now after Jesus has conquered them forever through his death and burial and resurrection, Jesus now has all authority and power to break the power of demonic forces in this world. Jesus has authority in a way that we individually never can. But Jesus goes on from there, and to weak and wounded, bruised and broken sinners, Jesus provides rest. Rest through justification where we are counted righteous with God through faith, knowing that Jesus died for our sins and was raised for our justification. The promise of the gospel is that Jesus, whether you are oppressed by a demon or not, is that if you repent from your sins and believe in Jesus, you will be saved by him. Jesus provides the rest that he promises, but that this demon cannot find for himself. Jesus provides rest through justification. He provides rest through sanctification, a real refuge from demonic forces, real power to change, 
where you no longer have to strive in the strength of your flesh against the forces of darkness? Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? Is what we sang a little bit earlier. But ultimately, what Jesus is telling us is that we've got to pick a side. Even just to be here at church is not enough if you're not believing in Jesus. Because this is no place to just help you look better. This is no place to help you manage your behavior. This is no place to help you tidy up your life a little bit more. If that's all you're seeking to just sort of tidy up the house of your life, to remain spiritually neutral like this foolish person here, understand that will not lead you to a safe place. You are utterly vulnerable and in danger. This is a place, rather, where you will hear the law of God condemn you because of your sin and where you will hear the gospel of God hold out to you then the grace and mercy and forgiveness that belongs to all those who look to Jesus Christ by faith. You know, in this story, we have this person here who imagines they're safe, who sees their life improving, who does not see a particular need to have any savior, any redeemer, any protector. And then all of a sudden, they are attacked. The question is, if you're not with Jesus today, and maybe you think your life is okay, maybe you think your life is actually improving and getting better on your own, that is no guarantee that tomorrow this oppression, this attack will not come. The solution is only found in Jesus Christ, who sets captives free, who has bound the strong men once and for all, and who has all authority in heaven and on earth. He's the one who loves you. He's the one who will give you true rest and freedom in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, these are dark, difficult things. I've been praying this week, Father, that you, by the power of your Spirit, would bind the devil as he seeks to devour people here today. I pray that you would open our eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to understand what is held out in the gospel of Jesus, of his power and authority. And we pray that as we look to him in faith, you would give us increasing freedom, freedom from the oppression of darkness, freedom from the enemies of sin, and one day when you raise us from the dead, final freedom forever from the power of sin and death and the corruption of our flesh. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.